Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive faith community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Let our conversations with children open them and us to an ever-wider circle of awareness. Let them open up wider circles of spiritual life, spiritual joy, wider circles of faithful living. Let them also give our children strength and hope and meaning for those times when they feel lonely and we can't be there for them. When they feel pain because of the cruelties of the world, when they feel guilt and shame and struggle for directions, when they face dangers from which they need more than human protection, when they feel grief and rage as well as awe and reverence, let us have conversations that will ground them in faith, giving them songs and stories and images that make that faith accessible. Come, let us worship together. Ray Ray, you're so lucky. I wish I were you. You don't have to take notes. You get to ride the elevator. You don't have to run the mile. I hear that maybe twice a week at school. I have a rare form of Charcot-Marie Truth, CMT, a neuromuscular disease that affects my strength, balance, and sensory nerves. I live in two Americas. One America is my normal life at a normal middle school with no other physically disabled kids in the eighth grade. I'm a follower, not a leader. In this America, being able-bodied being able to participate and keep up is a norm. In this America, my friends sigh and say, oh, um, yeah, I guess just one sec when I ask them for help. Last year, my friends and I were talking about what we wanted to be when we grow up. I said proudly that I wanted to be a doctor. What came next was not so lucky. You want to be a doctor, said one of my friends. You know, there's a lot of walking. I don't think you'd be able to do that. This friend of mine is one of the most progressive people I know. That's one thing I really enjoy about her. Most of my friends are liberals who believe that everyone should have equal rights. They say they support the rights of LGBTQ plus community, African Americans, Native Americans, women, and of course, people with disabilities. They say they know the do's and don'ts of how to treat people, but do they really? Let's say this was a test on how to treat people with disabilities. Should you A, ignore them and pretend they don't exist, B, treat them like any other human being, C, beat them up, D, make fun of them? That looks pretty easy to ace, right? But in life, it's not A, B, C, or D. It's more complicated than that. A lot of people are taught the textbook answer on how to treat people. But when they actually encounter someone different, they don't really know how to connect with them. 
maybe the textbook should say people with disabilities like to do the same stuff you like to do, but don't treat them like an able-bodied person. Don't run off and expect them to keep up. Do treat them like a person who needs help every once in a while, because we all do. Teachers at my school try to adapt things, but they don't always know how. In gym class, we play a game called Capture the Pumpkin, where you try to get the other team's pumpkin. My teacher tried an accommodation where I could get the other team's pumpkin, but nobody could tag me. That wasn't fair for me or my classmates. In social studies, we learned about the civil rights movement, but disability rights were never mentioned. I've heard that other schools don't include disability rights in their curriculum either. Maybe that's because they're not considered as important, or maybe that's because the disability community isn't as big or outspoken as some other marginalized groups. I'm happy I don't call that my only America. My other America is where I'm most myself, where I'm a leader, not a follower, where I've made some of my best friends. Ray Ray, you're here. OMG, I've missed you. Ray Ray, what do you think? These are things I hear in my other America. These are the people who support me and push me up to where I need to be. These are the people who get that I can't always stand in the, stand in the middle of the room without something to help me balance. When I ask these people for help, they say, yeah, totally, you don't even need to ask. I swim on the Courage Kenny Adaptive Swim Team. Everyone on our team has some type of physical disability. And every year, our team participates in the National Junior Disability Championships. It's one of the most encouraging and inspiring things I do. All these athletes who have physical disabilities come together and compete their hearts out. Three years ago, it was held in New Jersey. After the competition, my friend Belle and I were talking about her trip into New York City. My family and I were planning to go the next day. She told me that some parts of the city were really accessible and other parts weren't. She understood that I would appreciate knowing about the long walks to go, the long walks to go find an elevator in the subway, and then that there were sidewalks without ramps at the corners. It was one of the most honest conversations I've had and way more interesting, interesting than talking about who we have crushes on. The center of my, Ameri the, my other America is the week that I go to summer camp for kids with disabilities. There we all come together and live, hashtag unlimited. I've made some of my best friends at this camp. We have a lot of fun horseback riding, canoeing, zip lining, and doing the ropes course. Every activity is 100% accessible and inclusive. The counselors make it possible for every kid to participate no matter what their ability is. Even in this America, some people with disabilities still feel the pressure to act normal. But what is normal? Last week, some friends and I from swim team were hanging out. They brought their friend Laura, a nine-year-old girl who also has a disability and her younger sister. Every time her sister asked her if she needed help, Laura would force a laugh and say, why do you keep asking me if I need help? The idea that a nine-year-old girl isn't comfortable with her disability 
even when she is surrounded by people who have disabilities, made me feel sad. I felt sorry that she felt such pressure to pretend to be normal. I wonder if she thinks it's the worst thing in the world to have a disability. Maybe I am lucky. When I'm in my other America, I feel accepted. My personality opens up. I become more me. I get, I get to look at America through a different perspective and become part of a very strong and supportive community. I also get to park in the handicapped parking spots, which is pretty nice during our Minnesota winters. <laughs> I hope that in the future, my two Americas become one. I'd like to live in an America where people who say they want, they want to include everyone really truly do. An America where people genuinely want to help you. An America where disability rights are important on their own. An America where healthcare for people with disabilities is always covered by insurance. An America where our president does not make fun of a disabled reporter. An America where a nine-year-old girl and everyone else can feel confident about who they are. Thank you. Rayla D. Matson is a Unitarian Universalist religious educator and a single mom. And just like Ray Ray, she wants kids to learn to stop and help those they can. Rayla, Rayla writes about how she hopes to teach her own kids this lesson. She asks, why is it that some people stop to help and others just keep going? In my adult life, I've happened upon a number of memorable car accidents. In one, a mother was unconscious while her small child was screaming in the back of the car. My friend and I raced to pull the child from the mangled car, which was in the middle of a busy intersection. The police and the mother were, were thankful for our compassion in helping. A few years later, I'm traveling home when I see a car go down an embankment. I pull over and run back down the highway. When I get to the car, the woman inside asks me, quite rudely, what I'm doing. <laughs> when I tell her I came to help, she seems annoyed. Police arrive, and they too inquire why I stopped and tell me I need to mind my own business. More years pass. I'm driving with my toddler and witness a car drive under a tanker. I jump from my car and crawl under the tanker to the driver who's confused, bleeding, scared. While we wait for help, I call her family and clean her wounds. When help arrives, the police ask me why I stopped to help her when I have a small child with me. He says I should have just kept going. To which I reply, with a small child in the car, what message am I teaching if I don't help? One day, it was my turn to need help. My car was stuck in a snowy embankment, and I could not get myself unstuck. I was getting more and more frantic as my children were with me, and the car was jutting out into the street. My oldest child was confused. Why would no one stop and help us? I was wondering the same thing as many cars splashed by. While I couldn't answer his question, I asked him to promise that if he was ever able to help someone and it wouldn't put him in harm's way, he would stop and help if he could. He thought about it. Even though people weren't stopping to help us, my son said he wanted to be more like me and stop to help someone anyway. I'd like to think that by my stopping, I'm setting a good example for my kids.
What example is that? Compassion, maybe. A caring heart. A gentle spirit. Maybe it's my hope that one day someone like them will have had a mom like me, and someone will stop and lend me a hand. So Rayla Matson offers us some solid pedagogy here. We teach kids to stop and help by helping people, by being people who stop and help. They'll learn to help by watching us do it. There's some solid theology here too. Rayla believes we should stop and help, not for praise or because others have earned our help, but because they're human, born with inherent worth. We should help because we are human too, and because helping keeps us human. We should help because the world is only as compassionate as we are courageous. In what circumstances do you stop to help? I wonder in particular, do you help kids, even if no one stopped to help you when you were a kid? One of my favorite quotes suggests that you should be who you needed when you were younger. We should set out to be like the adult who helped us most, or maybe the adult we desperately hoped would show up, who never did. I wonder what kind of person you would show up as. No doubt the person you needed then is still needed today. So I noticed something relevant to this topic after work one evening a couple weeks ago. I was catching up on the day's news, and it was a bad news day, really frightening and heartbreaking and I was feeling pretty beaten down by it. So I posted a request to my Facebook friends. I wrote, share something that chases away despair, only post if thinking about it right now gives you hope. Apparently this was a conversation a lot of people needed that day. There were about 100 responses. When I grouped their answers into categories, these were the topmost frequent sources of hope. Art and music, listening to it and creating it. Dogs and cats and bunnies are sweet pets, even including someone's joyful, determined goldfish. <laughs> Friendly strangers and kind neighbors were often mentioned. But the most common answer, kids. Our own kids, other people's kids, the Parkland kids, UU kids, the kids at the forefront of the Black Lives Matter movement. One friend wrote this about her source of hope. She wrote, today it is my youngest learning the Star Wars theme on the piano. Hers is a generation of rebels raised on Harry Potter who will not hesitate to take matters into their own hands. I'm sorry to be giving them so much work, but I know they're up for it. And I plan to do as much damage control as I can in the meantime. When my friend says she's going to do as much damage control as possible, I think she means she's going to fight really hard for what's right and just in this world so we don't stick our kids with even more work than is already waiting for them. And that makes good sense to me. But the other thing I hope she will do, and we all will do, is to put down the work sometimes so we can show up for our kids right now while they're growing up. We adults are not the only ones living in a world full of bad news. We're not the only ones feeling the impacts of sexism and racism and homophobia. We're not the only ones feeling worried about money or our mental health or mass shootings. Our young people are feeling it too, right here, right now, right next to us. 
Lillian Katz, an expert in early childhood development, says this. Each of us must come to care about everyone else's children. We must recognize that the welfare of our children and grandchildren is intimately linked to the welfare of all other people's children. After all, when one of our children needs life-saving surgery, someone else's child will perform it. If one of our children is threatened or harmed by violence, someone else's child will be responsible for the violent act. The good life for our own children can be secured only if a good life is also secured for all other people's children. The way I see it, the alternative would be to isolate ourselves and our children, if we have them, from other people's children by building walls and fences and jail cells. That's what a lot of folks, especially white folks, seem to think is the answer. But it's not moral, it's not humane, and it won't work. What will work is getting right in close to the youth in your world. I am blessed by a job that lets me be deeply connected to people of all ages. Over the years, I've come to see that there are certain circumstances that are especially conducive to facilitating deep connections between generations. A big element is simply time, of course, showing up week after week reliably. But what you do and how you are with one another in that time matters. There are three ways of being together that I've noticed are especially connective. So one is simple. Give kids the materials they need to create something and then stay nearby. For example, our third graders make these stoles. They make these stoles as a sign of their role as co-creators of our faith. They make them with scissors and felt and needles and thread and lots of help and encouragement from adults who know what they're doing. And the adults who are there with them, helping them decide how to create a stole that reflects what they love and value, helping them turn that idea into reality, teaching them to push the needle through the felt. They develop a connection really quickly, sitting side by side doing that work. Creativity opens us up and primes us for authentic relationship. So we make art together. And creative play does this too, so we play. Two, we worship. And just like worship in this sanctuary, sometimes it just feels familiar and comfortable. But sometimes when the stars are in alignment, the story I tell sparks something deep in a child. Sometimes in children's chapel, I've seen children so moved that they just burst out talking to us right in the middle of our service. They'll exclaim, that happened to me too! <laughs> or they'll shout out advice or an answer to the dilemma that's been posed. That is connection, right? Or when we share our joys and concerns, sometimes someone shares something powerful, concerns about a parent's job loss, or joy about a new brother coming into the family, and the whole room responds. There's a moment where a room full of wiggly kids is suddenly silent and attentive. And as we sing together in words and signs, spirit of life, there is no question. We are all connected. And the third way in, the third way in is we talk about real things. In age-appropriate ways, we talk about everything. 
We talk about everything because this is church and there's a lot to talk about when you're trying to figure out how to live in this complicated world. We talk about families and bodies and racism and justice and depression and hope and poverty. Kids are fed by real talk. They're hungry for it, like Ray Ray's honest conversation with her friend about getting around in New York City, which provided her with useful information and assured her that she's not alone. When you talk about real things with people of any age, there's the potential for things to get deep and for really deep connections to be forged. I remember reading a book to a group of kindergartners and first graders in which a little girl's grandmother dies. Again, that stillness entered the room. And that circle rug where we were all sitting on together in room 101 in the pale January sunlight became our very own little blue boat home. The kids unburdened their worries and their questions to me and to one another, sharing their own stories of bugs and pets and grandparents who had died, and talking about where they believed we'd go after we die. And that was church. That was being connected to ourselves and to each other and to something larger than ourselves. Creative, compassionate, courageous kids who need creative, compassionate, courageous adults are everywhere. Maybe they're the friends of your own kids or grandkids. Maybe they're your neighbors or the kids in the neighborhood school down the street or in the school across town where there are fewer volunteers. Maybe they're the kids budging in the graham cracker line after church. <laughs> Perhaps you're even called to do what our own Lindsay Thomas did when she started volunteering in a first universalist preschool classroom over a decade ago after her own kids had graduated, Lindsay followed those little ones up through every grade, through a rainbow path, all the way up to coming of age last year. I estimated the hours that Lindsay has been with this group of kids, probably close to 500 in total. That's enough time to drive from San Francisco to Boston and back five times. But she does it in increments of 90 minutes on Sunday mornings. Lindsay will be here helping lead the senior high youth group when it starts up again in the fall, because those kids are in 10th grade now. And you know what Lindsay and the rest of the advisor team will be doing to help those senior high kids? They'll be asking them to share who they are and what they value and what they need. They'll be engaging in justice work together in the larger community. They'll be teaching spiritual practices to help ward off despair, because we all need that. And they'll be doing their best to build a radically welcoming, accessible community where each youth gets a place at the table. They'll be practicing honest communication and holding one another accountable to their covenant. Lindsay and a bunch of other responsible adults will be loving those youth and staying with them even when the going gets rough, and it will. People of all ages have really hard things happen. Youth are affected by school stress, by loneliness, by oppression, by illness. Sometimes their families struggle or break up. Sometimes youth make really bad decisions. The adults will keep calling everyone back into the circle. You might be thinking right now, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be more engaged with youth, but I have some concerns. 
So I'm wondering, have you ever seen one of those YouTube videos where someone has a close encounter with a grizzly bear? <laughs> like, they're camping or hiking and suddenly there's a bear coming up the trail, so they run, no, actually they, they take out their phone and they start filming it. <laughs> and in every video, the person is always scared to death, you can tell by their breath. And simultaneously, they're transfixed and totally in awe of the majesty of that bear. <laughs> you might have some of the same feelings come up in an encounter with an unfamiliar youth. <laughs> and that's okay, but I'll tell you this, not once in my 30 years of working with youth have I ever seen someone get mauled by a teenager. <laughs> Teenagers do get loud, and they do have opinions, and they don't always all like you all the time. But, like grizzly bears, they are magnificent and awesome. And most of the time it does feel really amazing just to be in their presence. Now a key difference between bears and kids is that the bears really don't want you to be there hanging out with them, <laughs> but the kids do. And there's actually solid evidence that kids do best when adults outside their family are in their lives in regular, meaningful ways. Youth really need adults who know and accept them with all their gifts and quirks more than they need adults who admire them from a safe distance. It doesn't really help kids when we watch them from afar and then post on Facebook about how much hope they give us. Kids need adults in their lives who are willing to show up. One of the many benefits of being in relationship with young people is witnessing how brave they can be in using their lives as sacred text. They often notice and call out things that adults have come to accept as being kind of just the way it is. Take Ray Ray, who shared her wisdom with us this morning straight out of her lived experience. This is a young woman who gives us great hope, right? She's observant, determined, honest. Ray Ray tells it like it is, and I don't mean that as an excuse as it's often used these days. I mean in the old-fashioned way. She tells the truth in a powerful voice, and that requires a perceptive mind, self-awareness, and a lot of courage. You're not an ally, Ray Ray told us. You're not an ally just because you say you are. An ally is someone who stops to help. A real ally doesn't mind showing up when you need them. They actually want to be with you. Ray Ray is one of many creative, compassionate, courageous youth who give me hope for the future. Ray Ray, who started climbing these chancel stairs to light the chalice when she was in third grade, I think, right? Yeah. So I'm just going to follow her example and tell it like it is. It's past time we had a ramp up here. I'm really glad we've got the funds and the plans to fix that now, thanks to the capital campaign, but how I wish it had happened years ago. Ray Ray... Your truth-telling, your bright spirit, your example inspires us, but it challenges us too. If we claim youth give us hope, we need to invest in you and in all those young people who we're counting on. That's what a real ally does. They stay with you. They help you when you need it. So grown-ups, if you're already investing your time and attention in young people, however you're doing that, thank you. If you're planning to start, thank you. And if volunteering in religious education is a way you'd like to help, <laughs> please reach out to me because there are well over 500 kids who you can show up for right here from over 300 families 
who have chosen this place as their spiritual home, and we need each other. We really do. Our future depends on it. So may you, Ray Ray, and may all the young people inside and outside these walls be accompanied by caring, committed adults who stay close and remain faithful. May those connections between us keep hope alive in our hearts and make manifest our greatest potential for growing justice and love in the world. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.